Thank you for the blessings of knowing these days, knowing how important they are, and knowing that we will be blessed from you when we keep them. So we ask for your guidance now on this last service, that these words would be yours, and that each of us would be edified, and that each of us would return home then very much recharged in their spirit to carry on through those days, the cold winter days coming, and we can remember these things and prepare again for another feast next year. In Yahshua's name we pray, hallelujah. And you may all be seated. That last song was very appropriate to, uh, to my message. You know, I don't know how many times I heard someone say, I really need that feast. I really need that recharge, that spiritual motivation. And I was reading one time about how important sleep is. When you sleep, see, during the day you build up parts, bits and pieces of protein from the action of your neurons in your brain, and those have to be cleared out. Those have to be washed out, which happens at night when you're sleeping. If you don't have that happen, within a couple weeks, you're dead. That's how important sleep is. I find that just as significant in Yahweh's feast days. You have to have that spiritual renewal. You have to flush out the world, and you have to come in new and prepared to add good things in your life and become stronger in in your motivations and spirit. So I pray each of the feasts uh, that we keep here, the last two, especially would be a blessing to you. And you remember all that you did here and all that you learned and that it might carry you through. Well, the song that we sang just fit right in because it said, uh, may you live within me. I thought of calling this, it's too long a title, but uh, are, are you in the covenant and is the covenant in you? And uh, of course, the, uh, if you're in the covenant, that's one thing. But when the covenant's in you, it's impressed upon you even more deeply because you're living it. You've internalized it. It becomes a part of you and what you do. You think like Yahweh. You think and act like his son. So that's how important it is. You know, just looking at creation, that Yahweh is a, a mighty one of details and particulars, isn't he? You can delve into the smallest piece of creation, the smallest animal, the smallest anything, mineral, and find out a, an amazing design that only a superior being could, could do, could produce. And when we come to him, he does the same thing spiritually for us. He helps us and changes us to become more like him. There's a purpose for all this, and we're going to talk about that toward the end here. I'm not going to be real long today, but uh, I want to leave you with a couple important points of this day. He expects nothing less than total compliance when he gives us something to, a command to do in his worship. Just believing doesn't cut it. Yasha said the devil also believes, but the devil trembles. Not everybody trembles if they believe. That's the problem today. Many just hammer the grace without works, no obedience, faith alone mantra. And that's about it. That's some some substance of their faith, of their worship. But they bring it up all the time. You don't have to be obedient. You, You know, you just trust in him. 
because they keep bumping into contrary scriptures and ministries that, like ours, that teach the opposite. You have to conform to him. There's something you need to do and teach the word. And that contradicts what they're, they're pushing all the time, their agenda. And they no doubt begin to be convicted when they read such passages, and then they try to convince themselves otherwise. And you know, it's not like we bring it up, but they bring it up all the time. What does it mean to accept Yahshua as the way of salvation? That is the fulcrum on which the whole issue of salvation pivots. Accepting Yahshua, according to Scripture, means to get on board with his program, with his life, with what he's teaching, what he's, what he's living by. Certainly we must believe what he did. We must believe in his grace and his mercy, of course. Without that, we were dead. But does believing in him translate into obedience? That's the question. Or is it all in the vagaries and the fancies of the mind? You know, the mind and heart are unpredictable. Yahweh assesses us this way. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? So what does he do? He says, I search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. He judges us by what we do. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. Now we're getting into the nitty-gritty, the proof of the pudding. It's not just a mind thing. It's not just thinking sweet nothings. It's doing. Israel was a people of doing. They were out there doing, very vibrant, you know, and they were in Egypt. They were just growing and going all the time. They were making great slaves because they didn't sit around. Let someone put something in their hands. They were out there doing. So uh, Yahweh knows that his people are vital and when he helps us see his truths, he gives us more encouragement, more energy, and all of that to go with it. You can't open my head and look inside to see what I believe. The only way you know what I am and how I am is to see what I do. What I do. Actions speak louder than words, of course. Actions are all about you and what you believe, and they define you more than any words can do, because you can, you can fake words. As I said before, I remember there was a book when I was younger called How to Lie with Statistics. And, uh, you know, it's the way you present them. It's the way you look at it. It's how you do it. You can do the same thing when they take surveys, you know, political surveys. Depends on the questions you ask. Depends on who you ask. You can, you can modify that and change it any direction you want to go just by how you conduct the survey. You can say anything but deny Yahweh in works of what you do. And that is why he has us follow a series, a protocol, when it comes to, say, his feast days, his Sabbath. He looks for actions, and that's why he gives us what we must do to show our dedication and love for him. Talk is cheap. When all is said and done, more is said than done. And so what we really are comes through in what we do. I once applied for a job. I was given two weeks of uh, testing. He wanted to, the employer wanted to see if what I wrote down was really me. You know, He wanted to see if I could do the job because he was investing in me. So he gave me two weeks to prove whether I could do the job, not just say I can do it, 
not just say I had the history of doing this, but can you actually perform? Can you handle the work? Just confessing with my mouth wasn't good enough. He wanted to see if I had the right stuff. And Yahweh is like that as well. He's exactly like that. He wanted Israel to learn how to follow him by and through the commands that he gave. It wasn't just busy work. He was, in effect, judging them. Would they be faithful? Are they the obedient? Are they my people? Are they trustworthy? Can I use them for an eternity? How about that? Would they follow through? And, or would they just, you know, in, in time say, well, it's too difficult, too much, too many oppositions, I can't really handle it. In favor of easier worship, like worshiping a golden calf, where you make the, you make the worship yourself. The dumb calf doesn't say one thing or another toward your worship. You produce your worship and just direct it at the calf. You can make up your own anything and the dumb idol would always go along with it. You know, Yahweh wants to know, would we prefer a worship that has no demands on us? Sure enough, Israel preferred the uh, Frank Sinatra approach and did it their way. You know, today's worship misses the mark because most don't understand Yahweh. They don't have the right concept of Yahweh. They don't fear Yahweh. He is just a cloud to them, to most people. They don't fear him. Instead of rising to his level, they bring him down to theirs. They make him human. You can see it in the way they teach their doctrines and so forth. To demonstrate his standard for his priests is a real insight into who Yahweh is. And what is our goal if not to be priests in his kingdom? He covers, what, 50 chapters of the Bible just on the priests, just on telling the, about the priesthood, the ritual involved, the very detailed worship they had to go through. Consider the intricate design just in their garb. Have you ever, ever looked at it? How it had to be totally clean of linen and nothing else, nothing mixed in. They couldn't sweat. That's why they had the pool of Siloam down there. They washed, went up into the, into the uh, temple there and sacri- sacrificed or whatever they did, uh, depending. Remember how he commanded the Ark of the Covenant to be transported on staves, big long poles. Remember that? What, 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 what's that? Can't you just put it on your shoulder and walk down with it? It isn't that big. Probably is much wider than this here, right here. Uh, but he says, no, I want it held, carried by priests with those staves, nothing touching it. And how serious he was about it when he killed the man Uzzah, who was just trying to steady it because it was about ready to fall off the ox cart. Ah, there's a problem right there, isn't it? David was so angry, he refused to move it for, for a while. But it was David's own fault to begin with. He should never have put it on the ox cart like the Philistines did. He violated Yahweh's protocol. Read Exodus 28 and see Yahweh's detailed instructions for the design of the high priest's vesture, all the way down to the smallest adornment. You know, they had the uh, 
pomegranate bells on the bottom. And uh, if you look down in our little display case down there, you can see a picture of it where the archaeologist has found one of those pomegranates bells that was on the priest's vesture. Why did he have that on there? He wanted to see if you're going to be faithful. Read the chapter again and notice, Exodus 28, notice the intricate detail Yahweh commanded for the garments and the Levitical priests. You're going to serve me, you're going to do it my way, and you're going to do it in exact detail. And if we're going to be priests, guess what? We've got to do the same thing. We can't mushy around, decide I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that. You follow his instructions explicitly or you're not going to be a priest. That's what it boils down to. The ephod with its gold, blue, purple, and crimson yarns and finely twisted linen, skillfully worked by the highest level spirit-endowed craftsmen that they had, made to match the fabric and colors of the curtain of the tabernacle, the breastplate that had the urim and the thummim, you know, the, the stones to determine, make a decision, was just a marvel in itself of intricacy and beauty. Both the priest, temple, and covenant are all about worship and the strict adherence we must make to follow that way. It's all about worship. It's all about him. To serve Yahweh as a priest was a privilege of the highest honor, a standard of honor. And when that priest led worship, he dressed to match the exalted office. Nothing less would do. I don't, I can't even imagine what happened. He walks in with flip-flops and a t-shirt. I just can't imagine. Well, he wouldn't get past the gate, I'll tell you that. What is our destiny? To be a kingdom of priests, if we can't get worship right now, what, what can we do? How can we expect such a high position? When Yahshua said in Matthew 5.18 that not one yod or one tittle, that's that little decorative device they put on the, the Hebrew letter, would pass from Yahweh's commands till all was fulfilled. He was conveying to us the compliance to even the smallest demand, the smallest instruction. He said it's a must. Well, it's halfway okay. You know, a lot of people like halfway they dwell in halfway. Time to face the truth. Humans are naturally lazy. Let's face it. We're lazy. We cut corners. We just do enough to get by sometimes. To test the cleanliness of a room, look in the corners and look along the edge. Look along the baseboard and see. Then you'll know if that room is really clean or not. We look for a quick buck. The easiest route, the fastest way. We even use contractions in our words. Instead of do not, we say don't. You know, we may because we're lazy. When it comes to faith, most like to water down divine instructions to make it more palatable, more to one's liking. It fits your lifestyle a little better. And to either abolish or switch to easier substitutes to get around demanding requirements. That's been the path of mankind all the way through the centuries. He's always changing, changing what Yahweh has set out, changing it, modifying it, making it to his own will. Once you crack open that door, the floodgates are now wide open. Compromise is on its way. If you allow the camel to you know, work his nose into the tent, 
You'll soon have a thousand-pound dromedary, dromedary in, your, in your lap. Well, you know, the question is, how much devotion does Yahweh expect in his worship? How much? If going halfway is okay, then go halfway. Go halfway. If he says that's okay, always know that he is the one in charge. He decides our eternal destiny. It's up to him. Yahshua will be our judge. We have one shot at this life. There's no do-overs. Why would we not want to be zealous in our decision to follow him? This life is going to be gone in a few years, relatively few years. He says, you know, three score and ten. Seventy years is our, basically our, our standard of living for, for, for uh, time. Yahweh is clear that he hates the minimal effort. He does not like the plenty good enough approach. Revelation 3.16, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. He'll reject an indifferent attitude from those who accept half-truths, compromise, and anything else that doesn't follow his word. He'll accept, he he, he, uh, reject any of that. Not one of Yahweh's inspired writers ever presented any part of Yahweh's worship as optional. And a lot of the prophets went through a lot to bring the truth to a world that hated it. I, I always think of Jeremiah being knocked down to the floor because they didn't like his message. What, I think he came in with a yoke on the back of his, <laughs> on his shoulders one time to, you know, exp- as we talk about, to express a symbol of truth, you know, that... Uh, Yahweh had him do such things. They hated him. I would look back and say, boy, that guy's really effective, you know. He makes a little house and then crushes it, you know. That says something about what's going to happen to Israel or or Judah. There's only one way to follow Yahweh, and everything is always his way. Paul wrote, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one master, one faith, one baptism, in Hebrews 4.4. In his wisdom, and knowing very well, the nature of mankind, Yasha pronounced that the way is narrow, you better get ready. You better get ready. It's going to be, the gate is narrow, and then the way is narrow. And it's twists and turns and up and down, and, and uh, you know, you've got to stay on it. It's not, it's not easy. You can't go ramrodding through it. You've got to do it with care. And he said, few would find the right way. Few, why? Because it's tough. We like, like I said, we like to do the easy things. That's tough. I would never say this is an easy walk. It's the hardest walk. But the goal is so far above the blessings that you get uh, here and then, the blessings that we'll get, he promised, if we stay true. Attention to detail and faith and obedience re- reveals the heart. In Matthew 5.19, Yacha says, Whosoever shall break one of these least commandments shall teach men so. He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Does that mean practicing and teaching commandment breaking will be in heaven? No, no. Does it mean they'll still allow you into the lowest positions in the kingdom, like 
a doorkeeper? No. If so, then the sinner will inhabit the kingdom, which directly violates 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Can that mean that we can say we love him but stubbornly refuse to do what he says? No. The 20th century New Testament, by the way, is a very, uh, in many ways, it's very accurate and brings out a lot more truth than the KJV. In combination with Moffat's translation, reads in verse 19 that such a person will be least esteemed in the realm of heaven. In other words, the commandment-breaking no-law advocate will have zero respect or honor among those in heavenly places, among the heavenly hosts. It doesn't say they're going to be in heaven, you see. I always had a problem with that till I looked, studied it out a little bit and found out that's what it means. Our salvation hinges on a true understanding of the Bible. Whether we walk in truth or whether we don't is up to us. It's up to us. Truth depends on a, a right grasp of the word as well as the resolve to follow it, the covenant in us, you see. In 2 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul wrote, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast. Why? Because you can easily let it go. One of the meanings is seize on. Paul also told Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I challenge you between now and the next feast that you study. Get into your Bible and study it. Learn some things. A lot of people want to follow now on the Bible study we have here at 1130 on on Sabbath morning and uh, want to get in on it, and that's good. If you don't study the word, you're not going to know the word. If you don't know the word, you can't follow the word. So uh, that's something that's primary for all of us who are seeking that kingdom goal. That doesn't mean running to your minister with every Bible question. It means proving it yourself, understanding it yourself to learn the truth. Get out your RSB. Get out your Strong's. Get out, you know, whatever helps you can Go through different translations and look up the footnote or the Hebrew or Greek behind the passage. Let scripture interpret scripture. Get your nose in the book. Spend some time. Lay aside time, especially on the Sabbath. You're not doing anything anyway besides watching us, hopefully, on, uh, on your devices and so forth. We can't afford to be flippant or careless with the scriptures. You know, the word, Paul said, is given for proper instruction for correction and righteousness. Instruction and righteousness. Instruction and righteous living. It speaks to the ultimate goal of salvation. Why would Yahweh entrust his ways to us if we're not going to follow it? Why would he waste his time? That's the same question I have. Why would Yahshua go through showing his disciples and any followers that were there how he obeys the word and then, oh, by the way, um, I'm going to be gone in three and a half years, so whatever I said, just forget it. You just all wasted three and a half years of your life. Kind of reminds me of a guy, (laughs) you read some of these comments, you know, online when somebody reads a a blog or something and one guy wrote back and says it's some, some goofy blog. He says, Thanks for wasting five minutes of my life that I'll never get back again. 
And I kind of think about that. You know, how much time do we waste? We don't have oodles of time. We have a definite amount of life on this earth. We've got to make good of it. So, the word Paul said is given for proper doctrine, correction, and instruction. Paul told Timothy, take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine, that's proper teaching, continue in them, for in doing this or doing so, you shall save both yourself and them that hear you. Well, you've responded. You've responded to the word. You've come out when billions of others are back doing their worldly things. You've come out. You've, you've seen the need. You have that hope always in front of you of one day serving Yahweh forever for an eternity. You've come out literally at this feast. And you've also come out spiritually. Think about it. You've come out to get that spiritual growth that only comes with Bible study, with the people, with bouncing things off of others, learning from others. His feasts are called Moedim, appointed times. Yahweh is working out his salvation according to specific times outlined by his feasts. I didn't know anything about this before I came into the truth. Prearranged times, mile markers, specific markers by which Yahweh determines his plan and the heart of those who will follow. Each feast reveals a spiritual progression. They start with coming out of the world, Passover and unleavened bread. Come out, serve me in the wilderness, he told Moses. Overcoming our natures, learning obedience with the help of the Holy Spirit, ultimately to be ready when Yahshua returns to this earth. And he's gathering his elect. Gathering his elect. There was some, they were singing the, what was it, uh, um, the one song, You Can Only Just Imagine. I was thinking, you can only just imagine Yahshua coming back now. Every eye shall see him, bright, blinding light. And then they're going to think back on their, their past and say, oops, <laughs> I, uh, I kind of blew it, didn't I? You know, ultimately be ready when Yahshua returns to gather his chosen. His special observances do double duty as prophetic guideposts as well. Each one shows a, a, another step in the redemption plan as you follow them through the year. As we go through we see a specific time frame when Yahweh implements a new phase of his plan for mankind and his universe. His days are called memorials, something remembered. They look backward as well as forward. Backward, as we talked about, uh, prophecy, often dual, often dual, things we do. He says uh, what, what he's done before, he'll do again, which is uh, we talk about what, what about when the saints are taken into the wilderness? How are they going to eat? How do they eat? In Egypt, when they were pulled out of Egypt, you know, went into the wilderness there. He gave them manna. He fed them. Could it be he's going to feed his people manna? After, he's, going to, he's going to do something. He doesn't let them down when that time comes, when they have to come out of the world in the, uh, around the tribulation time. Well, it shows another step. His days are called memorials. Looking back in biblical history, we see that important events happened on the feast days. Important events. I always see, seem to see the same thing happening today. Big events happen, usually at the spring and fall feasts. 
or I should say, unleavened bread and tabernacles time. You see big things on the world stage taking place. You see wars, big wars starting. Uh, Yom Kippur War, you know, we all know about that. Uh, maybe big storms, maybe a, a hurricane comes through and wipes out, you know, large area. It always seems like it comes around this time. Yahweh has his timetable. He's a mighty one of consistency. Malachi 3.6 says he changes not, he has mercy, or else Israel would be consumed. He has mercy, but then that mercy only goes so far, and then he expects. If he did important acts of saving his people Israel, then consistency, he's going to do the same with his people now. Ecclesiastes 1.9, the thing that has been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. It all keeps coming back in a cyclical pattern. It was through the feast that Israel came back to him by being called out of Egypt at the Passover. That was a big thing, too. And it, you know, I mean, a lot of things happened then. Pharaoh lost his workforce, and Pharaoh lost his army. Pretty big when you're the most powerful nation around. Today, we put him, Yahweh, and what belongs to him first. Malachi 3, 7. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I'll return unto you, says Yahweh of hosts. But you said, where and shall we return? Honor me with your tithes and offerings, etc. Go back to the former ways that I gave your, your fathers. We witnessed new lives begin through baptism here. We saw it. We saw those committing to him to be faithful, come what may, through the rest of their lives. That's big. That's big. And it's required of anyone who wants to follow Yahweh, the ones who want his eternal life, the act of coming out of the watery grave is itself reflective of Yahshua's resurrection from the dead to rise again. Revelation 26 has a dual meaning. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of Elohim and of Messiah and shall reign with him a thousand years. Jose read Revelation 2.26, I believe, talking about the same thing. If we are immersed in the watery grave, we're taking key steps toward that first resurrection. That is the prize resurrection. That's where the first fruits come, right there, the first resurrection. The rest will be later, and that's what we're going to key in now on the last great day. Revelation 20 is where we begin our investigation to understand who's going to be resurrected, when and why. The incorrigibly wicked won't see everlasting life. But how about the well-meaning who are simply ignorant of truth? Well, for that, we go to Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Why must he be loosed a little season? You ever wondered that? Why would Satan get to have his way with man again? 
It's a test. It's a test to see if they will be faithful and also to know what it's like to have to battle your own nature as well as the evil one out there fighting at you again in his way. 20 verse 4, I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given unto them. I saw souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yahshua and for the word of Yahweh, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned Messiah a thousand years. Now notice verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. If you're not in the first resurrection, doesn't necessarily mean all is lost because there's another one coming. But that has to hold off for a thousand years until all those people went through the tribulation and so forth are, are going to be given their opportunity because they weren't in the first resurrection to learn of him and then they will have a judgment. Will they be faithful? This passage begins at the thousand year millennium begins. The first resurrection, of course, is the prize and those blessed to be in it are the first fruits. They get the primo positions as kingdom of priests. Yahweh proceeds with the first fruits, his son being the initial first fruits. So we talked about last night about the calendar. First fruits is key. First fruits runs all the way through the scriptures. First fruits, firstborn, they get the prize. Although in the Old Testament, firstborn never got it. You ever notice that? It was always a second or third born or whatever. Firstborn never seemed to, to uh, be able to get his act together. But anyway, um, that was the intent. And so we begin then uh, when the thousand years are over and the first fruits have been resurrected. And then 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul wrote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah that everyone may receive the things done in his body. He's not going to neglect those others who weren't in the first resurrection. He's got another plan for them. According to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. But the judgment doesn't come until later in this 20th chapter. Yet we have the saints reigning with Yahshua already at the start of the millennium. So what does that mean? Okay. He says everybody's going to be judged. Everybody. Everybody has to go through the judgment seat of Messiah. But the white throne judgment, which is really what this day depicts, hasn't happened yet. And yet he's got his people, the saints, the priests up there judging, or I should say not judging, but, but helping guide people to the truth in uh, Isaiah 30. So what, wait a minute, that means they must have been judged, right? Yeah, which means what? If we're in the first resurrection... And we're going through all these trials now. What does that mean? It means we're being judged now to see if we're worthy now. And that's why it's so tough. That's why this life is so tough for the believer because now he's going through it. You see, you see it, it fits in perfectly with Yahweh's plan. John 5.24 says that they were raised at the second coming. Verily I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. So if you're in the first resurrection, you've got it made. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment of, of punishment on you now if you've been through the first resurrection. You've passed from death 
into life, everlasting life. He, uh, Yahshua explains it this way, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall, uh, uh, shall hear his voice and shall come forth that they have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. John 5, 28 to 29. And Daniel 12, 2 says the same thing. So we see two resurrections. Revelation 20, verse 5 said there is another resurrection after the millennium. And that is a physical resurrection uh, to physical life. When he comes back, when the first time, Yahshua said you'll, you'll be raised from physical to spiritual. You'll be a spirit being. But this second resurrection is physical because they have not been judged how Yahweh wants to judge them yet. They weren't found worthy for the first, but they're not finished. You know, they got to be taught. They got to be shown. And verse 6 explains, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of Elohim and of Messiah and shall reign with him a thousand years. Since death doesn't have any power on them, death does have power on those that are raised in a physical resurrection, doesn't it? Because they can be killed. They, can, they will be, if they weren't worthy, they'd be found worthy of death. So if we are in the first resurrection, then we will live forever in the kingdom. Obviously, the saints who rise to meet Yahshua and the heir then have been, have been judged and found worthy. They passed with flying colors. No wordplay intended there. But Do you sometimes wonder why life is as difficult as I said? Why? Why is the guy over here, why does my neighbor not have the problems I have? He just kind of breezes on through. He's making it. He's got it, got it, got it made. Well, <laughs> everybody has problems. You just don't see them. But it, sometimes it's, you know, why do, the, why do the righteous suffer? You know, you've heard that phrase. Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked doesn't seem to have the same problems? It's because they're not being judged now. They have their turn. Don't worry. The comeuppance is coming for them. That's why life is so difficult now, so much to overcome, so many challenges. Our own human nature, the wilds of the adversary, the world, all of these things we have to battle against. (coughs) So that's why we're constantly being tempted to compromise our beliefs. Job talks about when the sons of Elohim, the sons came up before Yahweh, probably at a feast day, there was Satan, never gives up. He was there trying to, you know, Persuade them not to be obedient to Yahweh. He sometimes shows up at the feast, too. And we just have to overcome his wiles. But we're constantly being tempted to compromise because this judgment time right now for you and me is key for those who will be given the best jobs in the kingdom. And that's why it's so tough sometimes. That's why our families give us so much trouble sometimes. We have to overcome all of that. We can't just give up and say, oh, I'm done. Um, you know, Hebrews 6 is pretty clear. You, you, you reject Yahweh after you know the truth. There's no more sacrifice. I think that's the unpardonable sin. Because he said there's no more sacrifice for you, but, but uh, looking forward to of judgment, condemnation. If you give it all up, once you know. The secret is how much do you know? You know, some people... 
go a little ways and they backslide and you never hear from them again. I don't know. That's up to Yahweh how he's going to judge them. But if you do have total knowledge and you've walked, you know, had, you've, you've had it, you've got the, the covenant was in you and then you give it up, there's no more sacrifice. We're in an evaluation period right now that the world is not under. And that is why it looks so much easier for them. But don't compare your life with those in the world. They don't worry about following the word because they're not in the game. They're not in the fight. They don't worry about it, keeping the Sabbath holy when the rest of society does its dirtiest work, finds its most treasured diversions on Yahweh's holy day. They just follow the word, world. The rest of the world has no desire to travel even thousands of miles to keep a feast, as some of you have. They don't have that desire. The culture doesn't resist sinful pleasures and doesn't struggle to overcome sin. Why? Because they aren't in the race. Paul says, I'm in a race. He says, I fight a good fight. He says, it's going to be tough. And Yasha said, you will have tribulation in this world. You follow me, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so must we. But their time is coming. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, But one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. Works will justify us, James said in 2.24. And those works follow us in this life, Revelation 14.13. I've often wondered at what works uh, and faith, how does that work? Works justify the man, but faith justifies, or Faith justifies the man. Works justify faith. It fits together because there's a, there's a, it seems a discrepancy there with James, but that's how, that's how it works. Work, uh, faith justifies the man, but works then justify the faith. Faith without works is dead. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Know you not that they that run in a race run all, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. Run that you may obtain. Don't give up. Keep pushing, pushing, pushing. We're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We may not even have that choice to be called, but we were called. Now we've got to live up to it. If we can get through this life unscathed, in obedience, with our faith strong, then we have been favorably judged. The judgment of the called out takes place right now. For those who have a love for Yahweh, who want to follow Yahshua's footsteps. It may be difficult at times, but consider the stakes. Consider the stakes. We're talking about an eternity. An eternity that never ends. Consider that. This life is nothing in comparison to that. Nothing. The rewards that he has for the obedient... 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul wrote for our light affliction. He calls it light affliction. I guess compared to his, it, it is light. Who suffered like him other than Yahshua? Which is but for a moment, worketh for a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary. Here today, gone tomorrow. But the things which are not seen are eternal. 
The world offers nothing but fading mist. It kind of melts away. The saints will be either resurrected if they've already died or changed into spirit beings if they're alive when Yahshua returns. What about those who have not known the truth? We find that the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are over. That means they willingly are ignorant or just plain don't know, just plain oblivious. And then they will come up as physical beings, and it's Ezekiel resurrection all over again. Remember the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37? Bones come together, uh, flesh is put on them, and they're raised to physical life. Revelation 20, verse 7. This is the millennium, and Satan is loosed. Verse 5 told us that the rest of the dead will rise after the millennium. A key to the time sequence is in Ezekiel 37 through 39. And in chapter 37, we find the second resurrection after the millennium. The rest of Israel, finally Judah and all Israel, will reunite. Notice verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. As uh, Paul Harvey used to say, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run away from his statutes and judgments, but they're coming back, and you'll be under them, and you'll be under them a little more severely than when you have a choice. When he forces it on you, when he forces Egypt, when he forces these countries to keep the feast or get plagues, it's a lot easier now, isn't it, to say I want to be willingly obedient and get the greater rewards. He says, and they shall dwell in the land that I have, give, I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. In verse 26, Yahweh will set his sanctuary in their midst forever. Verse 27, tabernacle, the word is mishkan, meaning Yahweh's residence His own throne will be here on earth. This doesn't happen until the new Jerusalem comes down to this earth, depicted in the last great day, the second resurrection. This is the hope of the last great day. And Yahshua referenced it in John 7, 37. He was sitting there at the feast in the last great day of the feast. He stood up and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me, and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He said this at the last great day. Prophetically, Revelation 20 verse 11 sums up the last great day and the final judgment. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and, the, and heaven fled, and there was found no place for them. You just see his throne there. You see Yahweh, in the, or actually Yahshua being the judge, on the throne, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before Elohim, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, it's not fair if the ignorant are judged and condemned and sent to, you know, the, the pit of Hades if they were ignorant. That's not fair. Which means during this judgment, they had to have been taught something about Yahweh, and he evaluates them 
according to their works. It's the only way it works. It's not just, you know, a gavel. Boom. Trap door to hell. Ladder to heaven. That's what people think the, 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 this judgment is, the great white throne judgment. Uh, it doesn't say how long it is. It doesn't say exactly what it does. But you put the pieces together, and Yahweh says if you have no sin, if you're ignorant, these people were judged according to their work, so they had to know the truth. They had to have been taught at that time. Maybe, you know, we can have a part in that too. I don't know. Maybe. There's going to be billions of them there. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and the grave delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man, again, according to their works. There we have it. How we live our lives, whether then or now, determines our kingdom rewards. Whether the first resurrection and the greater rewards are the second one. For one reason or another, they weren't in the first resurrection. Maybe either ignorance, not of accountable age, um, not ready for various reasons. Whatever, Yahweh, he, he's, he's the one that chooses. That, you know, it's not up to us to worry about. Well, we're trying to prove faithful to Yahweh. And I'm just, uh, for me, I'm so thrilled that so many have come out this feast to do that. We know it wasn't easy. We know you had obstacles. We know you had people pulling, pushing back, whatever. But still, you came. And like my wife mentioned, she says, how many people stayed? I can't believe this, you know. In the past, um, you know, not everybody goes through the whole thing. If you want the blessings for the whole thing, you've got to stay, you know. Because this is the time when we get the blessings. The ironic benediction for those who prove faithful. So if Randy's ready, if Randy's here, there he is. <laughs> I don't want to do this myself because he does the Hebrew. I haven't done that. Uh, so if we all please rise. And at the end of the feast, we always have this benediction that Yahweh would bless you for being here and to be with you in the coming months. So Randy will take it in the Hebrew. You ever work at Yahweh? Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Hallelujah. We look forward to seeing you in 2020 for the next feast. Hallelujah.